You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Ian, nice haircut. Thanks. I think last time we spoke, I had much more hair. Kind of all over. Ian was a mullet guy for the first year plus that I knew him. Yeah. Yeah, I figured I'd clean it up for the academy. Is that a requirement? Uh, no, but you should look presentable at all times, I think. Is the mustache a requirement? Because I saw you posted a picture with some of your classmates, and it was pretty universal. Is that a Leadville requirement? It's the one piece of facial hair you're allowed to have because you need to make uh, a seal with the the face mask. So I figured if I can have it, I can have it, you know. Um, Do you know you're our highest highest podcast guest we've ever had? And I mean that by elevation or altitude, place in earth, not like state of mind. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. yeah, I think uh, I'm like at nine eight right now. I thought you lived in Leadville proper. No, I'm just outside in Twin Lakes, so mm. I'm basically at the base of Mount Albert. I might have just lied, Bracken. Have we talked to anybody higher than Ian? Nine thousand eight hundred feet. I, I I made this mistake with you earlier, Kirk, saying that I thought we had already interviewed Tyler Veerman. And you said, no, that was with your ex. And I said, oh, yeah, that was the last podcast we interviewed him. And he was up. I'm going to hold that over you the next time we get into a fight, too. I'm going to bring that up. Oh, you think about about Benny again, Uh Bracken? Uh (laughs) Anyway, he's he's somewhere in the nines, I believe. Or was in the nines. When we talked to him, yeah, he was living up in some Colorado town, like ski bumming. But I think I think yeah, you nine thousand eight hundred feet is the the highest altitude that someone has come to us from. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm pretty up here. So, congratulations on that. I did. Um, I really. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned something that Bracken probably already knows, but I don't, and that piqued my interest about getting a haircut and only being able to have a mustache for the academy. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Uh, the uh, fire academy here in Leadville. Mm. Um, so it's through uh, the college, the Colorado Mountain College here. They put on an mm. academy that's closely tied in with the local fire department. And then they pull from other departments around the area. But uh, Leadville Fire is primarily the people who put it on. And, yeah, trying to do the do the thing. Why fire? So I've been doing uh i so i used to uh i used to work at a gym and i trained a couple people both to pass the cpat test and who were firefighters and it kind of always piqued my interest but i never really followed through with it until i got the opportunity to come to here to near leadville and get into the academy it was just like um, there it's like uh you know, it's like, well, if you're an OCR athlete and you come in and you're good at it, you probably, like, happen to have a rock climbing background. It's getting to the point where it's not like if you're an OCR and you're pretty good at it, you probably have, like, a firefighting 
background because it's funny the way you guys are stacking up. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I don't know. It just seems to happen that way. Um, Being in the fire service, you're kind of supposed to be always training in some regards, uh, which I really liked. And I thought that was a good part to have as like a job requirement, but also like, you know, I dig the, the community service aspect and things like that. It's interesting. When I met Ian, he was living in Las Vegas and training people out of a gym. And now he is living in Colorado in the mountains and in the fire academy. It's just a very yeah. different Ian I know now. And yet it's there's there's very little different about you. You are different, but nothing's really changed despite everything changing. Yeah, and I think when we first started working together, I was like just about to run my first actual ultra, like mm-hmm. kind of. And look at me now, two two WTMs in. On top of multiple ultras along the way. So that was my question. Yeah. Kirk said, if you, you're an OCR, you might have a fire background. Do you identify as an ultra runner or an obstacle course racer? If you had to pick one, what's your, what's your identifier? What's your endurance uh, pronoun? Yeah, I think I still primarily say obstacle course racing as like my first sport. Okay. Um, I usually just help people I run. And that's kind of like as far as the way, and then they kind of like get glazed over and zone out. But well, I think this year um, you did more trail or ultras than you did obstacle races. It's probably pretty close to split. You had more on the calendar, but you didn't make it to every high rocks in Deca. <laughs> yeah, high rocks was the the hard one to get to yes. for some reason. But uh, yeah, I didn't do any Decas. None, none of those were on the calendar. But yeah, I mean. I did did at least 150k. Did a lot of like just like hours and hours in the mountains. So I'd say so. And all the other, I this was my least heavy like obstacle course race season to date so far. Not that there have been very many for me, but like I didn't focus on that as much. Yeah. And I think it's still kind of going in that direction. Wanna, we want to get into all that, Bracken. Obviously, I assume you're probably going to lead this conversation a bit more because you guys have been working together for how long? Are we on two years? Uh, yeah, it was just before OCR Stars 1 that we started talking to each other. <clears throat> that was a November event, wasn't it? Happy anniversary, guys. We did it. How did you get each other? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, he's away at Academy, so I'm just waiting until we see each other in person. You can, oh. you can have my second 50-mile bib. Cute. Yeah, you got a 65-mile <laughs> bib now or something, right? 60-mile bib. I, you don't need that I old, did, I don't need did that old 50. I did make it 65, yeah. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but what I didn't know is so when we started our other <clears throat> um, Endeavor, the Race Brain podcast, I – knew of you i knew um that you were in this world but i didn't know like how back end on some things that you were like you're pretty infused in um ocr and such and it was just like yeah ian is our social media guy ian is doing the graphics for us um and i was like okay great who's ian i didn't know it was ian <laughs> floyd he just said ian um and then it's right. like well you're on the back end of like um orm 
right? You're doing stuff mm-hmm. for, you're doing stuff for other companies. Like, why don't you just tell everybody like how you're involved with OCR and not competing like on the other side of things? Uh, okay. Yeah. So I started off doing some stuff for Matt with the ORM. Um, was mostly like scheduling the, the, the sponsored posts for like rugged maniac and things like that. So, uh, I did that like once or twice a week as whatever the, the arrangements were. And then I started to work for Rich originally. So I was helping him just like put up a post every time a podcast went out. And that, that turned into also doing the torque stuff. So um, like race alerts and updates and things like that. Uh, and then that, and that's a bigger project is because I like have to talk to the individual athletes through that as well and make sure like I'm getting all the facts and stuff right because I don't want to say anything that isn't true um and then Rich approached me about this podcast or uh, sorry uh for Race Parade said hey you know we're putting this together we're gonna make it a real thing you want in on it and I said yeah absolutely so um I see a lot of I see a lot of messages come through the Instagram app left and right and I have to make sure I know which account I'm on which I just messed up like this week I think like I posted something for a race brand on my own account for a second and I got like <laughs> I four or five messages <laughs> yeah I got a message from you Kirk I got a message from Tara Tara Jackson she was like I can't see this and I was like it's on race brand I messed up I thought you were being but, cute uh, and like sending me something personal that you wanted me to see. Like, you know, when people tag you, like, oh, I thought of Kirk. And I thought it was like, some, you're trying to start a real friendship here, but I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, all business. Yeah, I see. I see. <laughs> well, I made that mistake early on several times. You had to correct me. I was, we have a race brain <clears throat> messaging group. And then there's the race brain Instagram account. And I kept messaging the Instagram account rather than the group chat. Cause I'm an old person. I that a lot too. Jess does that? Jack does that. Oh, Jack does that. I was going to say, why is Jess messaging race brain? <laughs> I don't know. We need to talk. Okay, so you're a social media manager behind the scenes, let's call it, for kind of the the grouping of some of the, the more popular podcasts in the in the sport. Why, how did that happen? Are you uh, – like, do you have a background in this, or somehow you just got shoved into the corner of social media for <laughs> – mildly listening uh, podcasts or what happened yeah exactly no i um i have a small background just because i uh i worked with someone else uh for both of the gyms i worked for i was both the social media coordinator was like my official title along with like trainer and whatever um for for two gyms and i did that for a while while i worked for both of them and then uh I think it was like the first Discord group with just like the 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 whole like OCR thing that Matt posted like he needed help just getting scheduled posts up. And I was just like, hey, I already do this for you know a company that I work for. Here's here's the stuff. I mean, if it's just like copy and paste, I can do that all day. So from there, it kind of morphed into like. Like when uh, OCR Weekly Show started, it was just he would only post like the same like the the logo for it that white logo, 
every time on the, the website. And so I had to start making like images for it. And just like, I don't know, I'm just going to put Matt's head on things. And then it just kind of evolved from there. So that was you. That's all, that's all me. Nice. You can take credit for starting that trend. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. We could really, the running public could really use a guy like you, couldn't we, Bracken? Yep. Yeah, we could. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we need to work on our social media a little You're bit. You're social media prof- averse. From from your professional standpoint, Ian, scale of 1 to 10, 10 being good, 1 being bad, where are we at at the running public on our social media? Give it to us uh, straight. I mean, I it's okay. Say- it's okay. It's probably like a solid five, like right in the middle. Like no. you're saying things are happening, but there's like nothing else going on. It could be <laughs> a lot worse, and I've seen a lot worse. I give us a three. I was gonna say two or three, yeah. yeah. Okay. We might have peaked at a five at one point, but the, we gave it a good run of, with almost. Oh, go ahead. The, the the Kenny Chesney picture, not Kenny, Kenny G. Uh, Kenny G. Kenny Chesney. Uh, that one. Was that actually Bracken? I couldn't tell. <clears throat> it was actually Kenny G. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. That's so good. Probably that the best was, thing that I've ever been a part of. Yeah. That wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, that was really exciting. All right. Well, I didn't mean to but... distract with um, that side <laughs> of your life. I just think that a lot of people listening are consuming OCR, trail running, social media content, and very often the Ian Floyd who we are talking to today is the guy who is posting these on most of the uh, podcast and media outlets that you guys are consuming. So I think people should just know that. You're the man behind the curtain. We're, we're getting close to 750 on uh, Race Brain. We're almost at 1,000 followers. So that's my goal now. And okay. then the money rolls in. That's when it happens. Critical yeah, listen, mass. If you want to be rich, you get into this niche, tiny little <laughs> corner of the world sport, and then that's you right. rich. Yeah, exactly. This is where I get my foot in the door, and then that's mm-hmm. as far as I get. So, Kirk, I've been working with Ian for, like we said, about two years, and I have a just an inkling that there's a backstory there. We have very little of our conversation extends back to his life prior to sport. Almost none. Which some people, that's all we talk about when I do coaching calls. And other people like Ian, we just don't get into it. But you've dropped a little breadcrumbs that there are, there's a story there. And so even though, yes, I know Ian more than you do, I don't know Ian more than you do in, in the backstory. So, again, I have little, little pieces in things that I think are going to come out today, but I don't really know. So I kind of just want to dive back just like you do and find where you found sport, Ian. Because first of all, your transformation in sport already just in two years has been very, very uh, black and white. There, You are not the same athlete you were. And that usually speaks to an interesting pre-running story. So I want to get to that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm into it. Kirk, where, do you have any, you, any other start? place you want to start, or am I jumping in here? No, oh, I'm just waiting for Ian to start spitting All out right. at us what what the good stuff is. I don't know anything about I don't know anything about you, Ian, and I know that um, 
I know that you're pretty infused in two years to get sort of infused in the community like you have says that uh, there's probably something special there. And so that's I shared Bracken's sentiment about wanting to get to know you. Let's link hands and take us back to when you first started sports at any age, whatever that was. When did you find sports? Uh, well, if it's at any age, uh, I have no idea what age specifically, but when I was a, like a little kid, uh, I started off playing soccer. That was a bigger kid back then. So, uh, they stuck me in the goal, which I had a lot of fun with. What does that mean you were a bigger kid back then? I was just like a husky kid, you know, like, okay. um, you took up a lot yeah. of space. Oh Yeah. So I figured okay. it's good at like blocking things from going into a into the goal. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, kind of fell off after a while. And then I want to say around middle school, I started to play youth football. And again, like bigger guy, um, I played center. Uh, and again, had fun with that. It just never really stuck. Um going to practices and things always seemed like a chore like I didn't ever really want to go uh I wasn't necessarily upset afterwards but it wasn't just it just clearly wasn't something that I'd like was fully invested in and then where I in like the, stopped where in the world were you at this time uh this was all in Las Vegas I lived in uh Las Vegas up until this year actually and I've moved to two different states since then uh, but yeah, so, um, like the youth football didn't last too long, like maybe two, three years. And then, uh, I kind of stopped all sport in general. Like that was the only thing I really did. Uh, so like through high school, it was pretty sedentary. Um, and you know, just got into the normal, like high school things, like getting high in the parking lot and like. You know, just doing whatever, not going to school very often. I was a pretty terrible high school student. And, uh, is that, I keep, sorry to keep uh, interrupting, but is that a normal high school kid now? Cause you're a bit younger than us, right? You're 20 something? No, I'm 31. 31. 31. Thought you were late 20s. <laughs> yeah. Um, 31. It's Ian Floyd 91 is the email. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That was my sure. Birth That's your birth year. Yeah. All right. But is that normal now? Kids just skipping class, getting high? You said I was a normal kid. Is that Might be Vegas normalized? normal? I, it seemed pretty normal? normal for me, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you surround yourself with people like that all the time, then that's kind of like what happens. And not to say, like, my friends back then, who I still know to this day, are, like, bad people. But it's just, like, kind of what we ended up doing. So... And for, for better or for worse, like I can always look backwards and say if I should have just applied myself a little bit more in high school and who knows what would have happened. But, you know, is is what happened. So what did that manifest as? Well, as out of 100 kids, let's say, in your class, how many of those 100 would be like class skipping dope smoking kids? Like even if oh, it was every day. Uh, I mean... It's got for me like in Green Bay, in, yeah. So ten out of a hundred would be, I'd say, like two or three out of a hundred for me growing up in Green Bay, okay. Wisconsin. What about you, Bracken? Yeah, it was higher. It was Milwaukee. Was it? That's fair. Okay, man, I've sheltered up there in the north. All right, out of a side tangent, I was just curious about it. <laughs> Piqued my interest. Continue. Sorry to 
yeah. derail us. No, no, no worries. Uh, well, so how did that so, manifest yeah. in high school then? Like you said, you're a bad student. You were smoking before class, not always going to class. What was high school life like then? Where was that? Did that create friction at home? Did did it not matter? What what was going on? Oh yeah, no, it definitely created friction, and uh, I definitely got in trouble a lot. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it, it you know it's it's sucks to like admit to any of that, but it's like yeah, I was definitely bad, and I should have like. I actually asked my parents a couple of times, like, why haven't you just like kicked me out? It doesn't make any sense that I keep doing all this stuff and I'm still like here. So, uh, pretty grateful that I didn't end up on like the street in any form, uh, because I definitely earned stuff. What kind of stuff? Uh, (laughs) Not that we need to do, but now like now we're, we've already just chosen that road briefly. So now we're on it. What kind of stuff are we talking about? Uh, I mean, like, you know, uh, not, you know, but, uh, we, <laughs> I was smoking weed like pretty regularly. Uh, I smoked cigarettes at a pretty young age too. Um, there was like a little bit of like cocaine involved and like, uh, in high school, like, ex- yeah, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cocaine, ecstasy, like- cigarettes, weed. Like, you had the, you had oh, the yeah. full boat. I was and your great. parents found out about it at points. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I was uh, drug tested a couple of times, mm. which is not is that... the best. As a high school kid, that's probably terrifying. Yeah. Is that um, this is my own naivety or ignorance? Is that is that stuff like like I said? Maybe I'm just sheltered in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Is not um, a case study worth diving into, but Vegas would be bigger. Milwaukee for you, Bracken. Is that stuff like you just want to get some ecstasy or cocaine on a weekend and like your kids could just kind of figure out how to get it? Like, like yeah. or was it a challenge? Because for us, it'd be like if you had one guy who knew how to find weed, which I didn't smoke, but I had a couple of friends that did. It was a whole production just to get that figured out, let alone any other thing beyond that would have been impossible. Uh, I think Bracken actually made a pretty good analogy of this a while ago. And I think our race brain podcast <laughs> where like if you know someone who has weed which is the most accessible they know someone who has something less accessible and you kind of just mm. keep following that path and we always knew someone who had like one or two things above it so mm. it's it, not too hard did that okay. stick to its lane or did it branch out as those things tend to do like what what was was your only trouble that you got into drug based or did that lead into small misdemeanors and things like that oh yeah no that's as far as it went um yeah uh i i got pretty fed up with constantly being like in trouble of some sort Mm -hmm. just because like it just sucks it's not like a fun feeling so i uh i forget when it was it must have been like my junior year of high school i kind of cut most of it out um, like still like drinking here and there, but, uh, the most of the drug use and even like the weed I stopped and I really haven't ever picked that back up. It was like one or twice to see if I still liked it or not. Turns out no, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I stopped doing that then and, um, it didn't really it, like, it was just more of like, a, I just don't like being in trouble anymore. So I'm just going to stop doing it because I'm going to get like tested again. Or, like, someone, I'm going to get found out. I just don't want to do that. I'm very over that. 
Did that change your friend circle then? That'd be a tough thing. That's like social social places, like everything in high school. So that would be a tough thing to do. Yeah, I was like the the one person who didn't like smoke weed or like drink pretty regularly. Although, like when I drank, I drank. Like, still that, but yeah. um, uh, that was definitely. Yeah, I was just like the one person in the car who wasn't smoking weed. You know. But, uh, I mean, even without all of that, I was still, like, pretty, um, like I said, sedentary. I didn't do a whole lot physically. Um, and so coming out of high school, and even, like, the year or two after that, it was probably, like, the heaviest I ever weighed. And that was, like, pushing, like, 310. So I uh, was like, cool, this sucks. Uh, I was, like, uncomfortable all the time. I get like weird aches, just like like trying to itch my back, you know, things that like I just could like couldn't reach parts of my body. It was just awful. Um, and so that was like I remember distinctly having the idea one day that like if I don't do something about this, this is how I die. And at what age I, did that that realization hit you? Um, I would have to. I think it was like twenty. I, I remember like what I was doing. I just don't remember exactly when it was. Because yeah. then after that, it all kind of blurs together. But it was like a very surreal, like, like right at that moment, I knew like this is going to kill me. And it, mm -hmm. and I wasn't like really doing like extravagant drugs and like drinking a whole ton, like a lot, a lot. So I knew that like this was going to be the thing, and I didn't want to do that. Because my family has a history of diabetes and Alzheimer's, so it's like if one thing's gonna get me. It's gonna it's gonna just be because I lived long enough, mm -hmm. you know. Mm. So for perspective, not that uh, weight is not the right thing to focus on, but for perspective, roughly how much weight did you end up like as you sit here and talk to us today? How much roughly less than three hundred and ten pounds is that? Uh, I sit right around 175, like just wow. walking around if I'm not like doing a whole bunch. Um, I, at my lowest, I got to like 160 and I was like trying, trying, trying to get it all off. But, um, now that she like, lost over 130 pounds, something like that. Yeah. But the, at the lowest, Holy yeah, 150 smokes. and Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's still like, it's one of those things where like, you don't really ever notice that happening. Um, like other people have told me like that they can notice like the small little changes happening, but like I see myself every day. So I don't really notice all the kind of changes and stuff. And I still got like, like the loose skin involved with it. And I've still got like some stretch marks and things like that, that are just like kind of constant reminders. Um, but there are also constant reminders that I don't want to go backwards. And Respect. now it is, it's not. Yeah. Thank you. I um, not to jump in. I I've helped a handful of people lose over a hundred pounds in my personal training business. Um, three in particular, one had gastric bypass. So I don't really count that one just because of the nature of gastric bypass, but um, sure. the work that was put in by these three humans, uh, 
and the journey through the years with them is astounding. Like I understand the journey because I've witnessed it very closely secondhand, never myself, about as good as somebody could understand it that hasn't lived it themselves like you have. Mm-hmm. But man, like it takes a special kind of person to do that. And it takes a special kind of like intrinsic motivation. It's nothing I provided that helped them do this. Like ultimately it came from them. Like it has to, right? Sure, I, right. I put some stars in the sky for them to follow, but like they did the work. So to hear that, just like respect level through the roof, man, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Right. Where did that journey start then? Like when you were like, you had your moment, like Bracken was asking about like, what what then? Um, that, yeah, that was, I started with diet, like, and that was the only thing I did for a while that was different. Like, I started out cutting just, like, soda, and then I started cutting out, like, fast food, because at the time I worked at, I was a delivery driver for a pizza, so it was very easy for me to get, like, tons of soda, tons of just, like, greasy food all the time, and I worked late nights, too, um, so I, I usually worked from like four till about midnight or even later sometimes, depending upon what day it was and when we closed. Just prone so binging was, hours. Oh, yeah. And I was a delivery driver, so I was in my car most of the time, too. So yeah. I could do whatever I want in between when I'm at the store and when I'm at someone's house. Um, and that was actually when my like my cigarette smoking habit so through the roof. Like I, at the top, I was blowing through a whole pack in a shift, and that was like not great, not great at all. Yeah, That's one way to describe so, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so I, I started trying to make the best decisions that I could as slowly as possible, so I didn't like want to just revert very quickly. Um, so it was like the, the easy things to cut out, like switch to like water or something less sugary to drink. Don't use fast food as an option. Make sure I have something like at home, uh, cut down on the cigarettes, things like that. Uh, and that was working pretty well. And then I, there's a local gym, like in the, the part of Vegas that I lived in at the time, like right next to work too. So I would go there and just, kind of aimlessly use the machines as best as I could tell that the, like the pictures on the machines were mm-hmm. supposed to be used. Mm-hmm. It's just like, Oh, that part's lit up. I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, it was just like, I got a bike and biking back and forth to places just like never crazy far, probably like two, three miles at a time, but it was enough. Like it, it got me started. And as much as I never really, thought it was doing too much looking back it was like kind of the best case scenario for me because it didn't feel like a lot at the time it was like okay that's an hour out of my day and then i just go do what i normally do after that um so that like got a lot of the weight off honestly like the very minimal cardio effort i don't know if i would call whatever i was doing strength training it was some kind of resistance training but i would, don't know if i was getting stronger and then the diet cleanup like the diet cleanup kind of evolved all the way to like that was a, that was a vegan up until this year and that was like a seven year long thing so hmm. uh yeah and then 
I started working for a, to skip ahead a little bit, just because now it's just like different jobs and stuff, but I started working for a restaurant in downtown Las Vegas, and that restaurant had a relationship with the local gym a couple blocks away. And this was just like the gym. It was literally like an old, uh, like auto body warehouse. Nice. That was just covered in graffiti. The inside, the, the concrete ground was like cracked and chipping all over the place, but they had, um, like four or five assault bikes, four or five, the concept two rowers, a skier, tons of dumbbells and stuff. And it was just like a big open room. They even had like a monkey bar set up. It was just like very like stripped down. And the, the restaurant made a deal with them that like employees could go there for a crazy cheap option. It was like less than a 10th of what their actual price was. And, you know, just, utilize the class and stuff. So I figured that's stupid for me to not take that kind of a deal. So I started going. And then eventually I started working there. I started working at the front desk and then I got my uh, trainer certification and I became one of the coaches there. And I worked there for like a year and a half. And that's like also where that first social media thing picked up. But I did that for a while. Um, and that was around the time I started running at all. Because before then, I really disliked running. It was, like, not super fun. Again, I had, like, all this, like, loose skin or, like, excess body weight on me. It would move around a lot, and I just didn't like that. And mm-hmm. my body wasn't used to doing that. So, like, knees and ankles and things like that, that it just wasn't very fun. Uh, but I started to get into it right around then. And I think I ran my first, they were trail races, my first race race ever in 2018, like shortly after starting to like actually try to run. And then Kirk, kind of just snowballs from there. Kirk, you don't know this about Ian, but having worked with him and written training plans and watched him execute plans and workouts and races, he's always struck me as very pragmatic. Like if he sees that this is just what needs to be, he says that a lot. Well, it's just what needs to be done or, all right, this is the workout. Well, you know, I'll get it done. And, and I've always found that to be an admirable trait, obviously, because as you and I both very well know, uh, not everyone does that with workouts or races. Mm. I know this is what should be done, but I have trouble getting it in. And Ian's never had that, but hearing this story, it, it kind of makes it seem obvious that he wouldn't have a trouble with workouts or races because if cocaine had to be gone and that just made sense, I don't want to be drug tested anymore. This is dumb. I'm going to get in trouble. I'll stop. That could be done or, all right, 150 pounds needs to go because I'm going to die from this. So I'll just start by cleaning up my diet and then work all the way to vegan and then go from not being able to run to running. Like you, you are good at sensing what's required in the process and then just following it but I didn't realize how good at it you were because you speak very matter-of-factly about these things. I just realized I needed to do this. I was smoking a pack per shift, so I just cut back on that. Now, that's <laughs> that's very much easier said than done for most people out there. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would call it, like, sensing what needs to be done. It was just more so, like, take a stab in the dark and anything's got to be better than nothing. 
Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of the nature of like the weight loss or even fitness in general is when you're starting at baseline zero, the only direction to go is up. Is this kind of the way I thought. discipline, we will call it? Has it always been in you? You just didn't access it when you were younger? Or was it something that you had to create and morph into through this? Meaning, like, were you able to be disciplined in other areas of your life before this? Or did you lack all sort of discipline and you, you worked hard to create it over time? Uh, I think there was, like... Uh, an aspect of it uh, growing up. Like, if I was into something, I got very into it. Um, so, if like I got attached to an idea of something, I usually followed it through. Um, it's definitely something that I, like, worked at to grow more. Especially now, like, trying to get into the fire service and things like that. Like, it's you have to be, like, on your game and then like on the next steps already before someone tells you to do it. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I definitely think there was a little bit of part to it as a kid. Like other than your, your parents being like, Ian quit with the dope, quit with all this other stuff. Um, it doesn't sound like anybody was like, now listen, Ian, you're going to die of obesity if you don't take care of yourself. And then you're like, oh, maybe I'll die of obesity if I don't take care of myself. Maybe I should do something about it. Like, it doesn't sound like you were surrounded by those kind of people. Now, I don't know everything. I could be wrong. It sounds like this was very internal decision. You weren't feeling pressure. This was like started from you, and that's where it went. Is that correct like it was an internal there was no outside push or was there uh there there are a couple like very mild like you know family trying to be like helpful and like suggestive and things like that so they they had a lot of offers to like you know pay for gym membership or like utilize a weight watchers type deal um and i tried them but until it was like my decision to do it i just never followed through you know, I'm, I do know. So, I'm curious <laughs> about the shift from going to a gym to working at the gym. Like, I get the uh-huh. starting at the front desk, and then that progresses to personal training, but or to leading classes and coaching. But that is that is a seismic shift from I'm 310 pounds and I'm uncomfortable working out to I'm confident enough to train other people. That is that is a very, very big leap for people to make. And I'm curious about that process, when that confidence rose or when you felt qualified, because there has to be this imposter syndrome that came along with that. But what, what was that process like? Because it's hard enough for many people to go from being a good runner to being a coach. Think like, why would anyone want to listen to me? So to go from right. one extreme all the way back to that point, I, I want to hear about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, when I started going to the gym, this gym specifically, uh, I don't know why I keep like refusing to say the name. Uh, the name of the gym is called Real Results Fitness. Um, they, I don't believe they exist anymore. I think that the gym was sold recently, so I have no idea. But, um, when I started going there, I 
uh, was really fortunate enough that my first class there was being led by a guy named Francis, who was who since then had become like a very good friend of mine. He brought me into the second gym that I worked for, like on his recommendation. Um, so shout outs to Francis. Uh, he was like hugely instrumental in like even like getting me to think that I could do any of this because it was that that gym was very like it was like a high intensity like boot camp. They called it cross training. I don't know if it would be considered cross training in the like the classical sense, but um, it was it was definitely more of like a CrossFit style like boot camp style thing. So. The way that the those classes were set up, it was beginner and inter, intermediate advanced, like either rep goals or like time domains or things like that. Everyone was doing the same workout, but everyone had like a different kind of like iteration on it. And I was always doing beginner um, until, you know, one day it was, it was just like pushed to like, hey, you've been doing this long enough. You should at least step it up to the intermediate. So that's what I did. And then... Uh, just like going more consistently, becoming like a regular face in the gym. You make, I've made friends in the, the gym as well who got me into my, my first races. So, um, two more people that I met there, Marissa and Josh. Um, Josh got me into my first race in general at a discounted price because he was an ambassador for the company. And then all three of those guys were big, like they were big into Spartan racing. So just like, well, that's crazy. That looks cool. Mm-hmm. I would love to eventually be able to do that. Um, and the gym in general had a very good, like, community aspect to it, which I guess, like, you know, most good gyms would have. But, like, I felt I had, like, this whole new friend group. They were all very active. They um, took care of themselves and things like that. So, that was like uh, something to look up to the entire time. And then they had an opening in the, the front desk. So I, I applied and then, you know, but that, then that natural progression happens is I use the downtime between classes as I'm sitting at the front desk, checking people in to like study for the, the personal training cert. And um, once I pass that, I start like shadowing as basically an intern for a company I already worked for. And, then it was just like eventually like okay you're on these days these times you're gonna lead these classes and then pick up as many clients as you can what was that first class like it was scary super scary terrifying yeah and i i've always had like pretty bad stage fright um playing in a band for a while that helped like going on tour and things like that but like by the end of every tour like i could just it was just whatever to be in front of people but then like starting something new like this where now it's just me in the front of a bunch of people telling them what to do mm-hmm. and like having to be like the the energy of the of the room like give them the energy to do things um that was a new and scary process but ultimately like it's one of those things where you you jump in and you learn how to do it. Like you kind of just take it until you make it. And then it becomes kind of second nature. It was a lot of fun too. You know, I feel like I got to connect with a lot of people as a coach who had lost weight to people who were like coming in fresh, like 
they, they didn't want to necessarily be there. They knew they had to be there. And it's like, hey, I get it. Like, I know what that's like, you know? Yeah. Bracken, you mentioned um, once in a while you say, we have these conversations once in a while, and you say, like, to me, you've said it, and you said it to others, like, I wish I had some trial or tribulation in my life that forced me to grow, <laughs> right? Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like you've never been forced to endure something that has caused like a shakeup to your life. So big time. So you don't know what that would be like to use as like motivation in sport, right? You can't channel that. Right. Which I understand. I think, I think that's a fair thing to say. It's you're like, I'm like, you couldn't, I forget how you phrase it, but you're like, I shouldn't be jealous. Cause that's clearly the wrong word to use, but there's some envy there, even though it was regarding a bad situation. Somebody had to go through the other side. I, I'm not envious. envious, but you have a arrow mm. in your quiver that I'll never have that type of thing. Right. And so with training, this is my business. I've been a personal trainer and now shifted to endurance coach since, well, since I was 22, my own business since 2010, so 12 years. Um, I've never been fat. I've never been more than 6% body fat. I've never let go of my fitness. And there is a way that I cannot relate to some of my clients, the vast majority of people who reach out about fitness, because I've never sat in shoes like yours. And I get that Bracken feeling of envy, of jealousy, not jealousy, envy of want to see the world through your lens that I'll never be able to do. I've been alongside people while they've done it, but I've never been able to to do that. And the funny thing is, is I had an employee for a while, um, Travis, who's fantastic. And he had lost about 80 pounds on his own. And then he worked for me as a trainer. And on my website, they have story. I have my bio. It's like a four minute YouTube video of me explaining who I am and how I can help. And Travis, Travis had lost 80 pounds. And on my contact Kirk page, on my personal training page, they can click preferred trainer, Travis or Kirk. And then that message gets directed to either of us. And even though it was Kirk DeWitt personal training, and I feel like I, I feel like I came across as I absolutely could help you. Half the people reached out and preferred Travis because of his because they felt he would understand their situation because his story was I lost eighty or ninety pounds on my own, and I'm I'm with you. And so. This is my long way of getting at the fact that, like, there is a very, very powerful tool to being – does anybody ever want to be 310 pounds? Um, probably not, I guess. Um, but yeah. the fact that you have that arrow in your quiver um, is just something that I've always thought people really relate well to because you are the population. People like me are not the population who have been lucky enough to not have to deal with that struggle. So, anyways, just wanted to point that out for you that, like – there's no other organic way to come in the industry, man. I don't know what is. I mean, I I think it also presents like a, a couple of like unique challenges too, because like this isn't the lifestyle I led for most of my life. This is as new to me as it could be to anyone else at this point. So mm -hmm. it, like it, you get a lot of like kind of imposter syndrome, especially like, as being the, the group coach, I have no control of like who shows up to the group at the time. So I get as many like brand new people as I do like total studs, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, 
here I am. I'm going to tell you what to do now. Right. For whatever reason, uh, like for no reason other than the back of my shirt says coach. Yeah. That's not, that is the wrong set statement. For no other reason than my shirt says coach. Has that, <laughs> you've not been listening to yourself the last 30 minutes? And that accurately encapsulates that imposter feeling. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that, I mean, I, and I still deal with stuff like that too. Like, and I, you show, I show up to start lines and it's like, eh, I don't like, look at these guys. What am I going to do? I'll just kind of like jog through, <laughs> you know, whatever. But that's, that is, it's like a, a real thing. I think it happens all the time. I have one more quick question about this weight loss situation before we move on. I'm, I could honestly, we could do a four hour podcast about this alone with me because it is my world and it, I, I'm drawn to it. I have a lot of curiosity about it, but, um, and then we can move on. But is, uh, how did you even know what to do? Like you started, like, you're like, I'll just stop drinking soda and quit eating greasy pizza every night. Like, was it that, like, how did you know where to start? Like, how did, were you just shooting arrows like blank yeah like, it, what were you do like i don't get it how did how did you figure it, this out or you didn't you just day yeah day, i mean I don't know. I, it's kind of a day-to-day thing uh at the very very beginning it was total stab in the dark with everything that i did um but like i said it's anything's got to be better than nothing or like doing what i'm already doing so you try to make like the really obvious choices like the okay, sh- like there's a ton of sugar in soda. Let's let's cut back that and see what happens. Or you know, let's not eat. You know, McDonald's drive through at like two in the morning. Let's you know, I don't know. There's there's food at home. Find something there. It's got to be better than whatever comes through a window. Um, it's it's it can be that easy, at least to get started, and then. Because it became something I became interested in, like I started doing the, a little bit of research, but like it was mostly just like, what is a good diet? Like Googling things like that. Like, you know, you just get back whatever you get back. And then you have to take like an amalgamation of all of these like crazy things that people say on the internet and try to figure out what works the best for you. That makes sense. You know, it's, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm happy yeah. with that answer. I just wanted to dive in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I've since, like, become, like, a nutrition coach as well. Like, I've, I've taken certifications with that and whatnot. So, like, I, I'd like to think I know a little bit more, but I also still think I don't know very much. So it's still, like, just making the best decision I can in any given moment of the day. Hmm. So if you listen to anyone talk who has a platform – whether it's cigarettes, drugs, alcohol, uh, sugar, weight loss, wh- whoever it is says that their thing is the hardest. You know, you'll, you'll, you go to whatever anonymous meeting it is and it says, listen, there's a lot of tough things out here. What we're going through is the toughest one. And it, it's, it's always true. Because mm-hmm. it is the, whichever one yours is, is the toughest one because the other ones aren't the ones that got you. But yeah. you're one of the people who had many vices. <laughs> so yeah. 
What I'm curious about with you is what was your toughest one to give up? You gave up over a pack a day. You gave up cocaine. You smoked weed. A lot of people are like, it's not addictive. Other people say, that's the hardest thing to give up because it's so easy to just put it into your life wherever you want it. Uh, some people right. say that sugar is harder to give up than any hard drug. Uh, what what was your? I mean, you went from 310 down to 150 and vegan. So you gave up everything along the way. What? Which one cost you the most to get rid of out of your life? Which one did you pine for the most along the way? Um, it's gotta be like, it's like the, the drugs and the, the cigarettes and stuff. Like you can kind of quit those cold Turkey at some point, like, unless you're like actually addicted to things like that. Like I quit smoking cold Turkey and most of the drugs I quit straight up the, the next day. Uh, Wouldn't a pack of cigarettes in in eight hours cause some sort of physiological <laughs> addiction yeah. to nicotine? You get like a you get a real rush with that. Um, well, that's yeah, what I'm, I'm saying. saying you can have any withdrawals. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, like that had to suck. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was a lot of like irritability, but you know, be, you know, like in a couple of days it'll be fine. So, and it, it's not like a a big like. At least for me, it wasn't like an actual like physical withdrawal syndrome. Like you're just crabby, and you you know that like a cigarette will fix it, but you kind of just roll through it. Uh, what what's always gotten me has been like not just like the type of food that I'm eating, but like the amount of food. Because I'm very prone to overeating, and I I know this about myself. And I've <laughs> tried to fix it in a couple of different ways. And I've definitely had tons of setbacks. And I'm still figuring that part out. But, like, the overeating thing is always going to be, like, the huge, like, number one thing. And now that, like, if I go do, like, a four-hour run in the mountains, I'm going to be hungry afterwards. And I, for some reason, like, give myself a little bit more of an out. Like, I can eat a ton now. And then that kind of rolls into the next day when I didn't run for four hours in the mountains, you know, so it's hard to like switch that off, you know, or even just cut yourself off in general. Like, I mean, everyone knows, like, if you eat fast, it it takes a while for your stomach to tell your brain, hey, I'm full. I I don't need any more. So if you just keep bypassing that signal for as long as you can, you don't notice it a problem until at the very end. And then, then by the next time the next meal rolls around, you're hungry again. So that's that's always been mine. It's just like sheer volume, every meal. Isn't that wild that at the end of the day it's food? Food's the tough yeah. one, dude. Food's hard, it really, because yeah. you can't you can't not eat. Yeah, you can't cut it out entirely. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you can and absolutely should stop doing cocaine and smoking cigarettes or like drinking alcohol and excess. Like that's for sure. Yeah. You can stop doing all of that and you'll be fine if not better off, but you can't hold turkey step food. Yeah. Yeah. There's a client that walks. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Well, every client that walks in the door, especially with weight loss agenda for me, um, they're suffering after their first workout and we sometimes have to stop early and it's all this, you know, 
coercing, not always, but a lot of times. <laughs> and every time, and they hate it, and they come back six months later and say, you're right. And I say, as their head's down and they're like, I feel nauseous. I'm like, believe it or not, this is the easy part. So let's figure this out because nutrition is going to be your biggest battle. And they hate when I say that. But like, believe you're suffering right now and you hate this? Mm. Well, learn to love it because believe it or not, yeah, this is the this is the nice side of things. When you're at home yeah. alone after dinner and you can't put that food more food in your mouth, that's the hard part. And then they always come back around about six months later and they're like, yeah, you're right. Food is way harder than the working out. Yeah. So I'm not saying yeah. your particular boat was food addiction but whether it's addiction or compulsion or 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 any sort of struggle with it it's the only addiction or compulsion or struggle that i know of where the protocol for beating it is to uh reduce it and keep it present that yeah, just doesn't exactly. exist with any other substance it's not like all right you know what you're allowed to do right now is 30 percent of what you were doing and in fact we recommend you to keep that 30 percent for as long as possible, but don't go up to 50. You just don't do that. You don't do that with cigarettes. You don't do that with alcohol. You don't do that with hard drugs. You remove them entirely or you wean yourself off and then it's gone. There's nothing else that you are required to keep in touch with your potential addiction along the way. Right. It's the only one. It, feel, it feels like a taper that never ends. Hmm. Like I know hmm. I want to do more and I just can't. You know, or I'm not supposed to. And if I do, uh, you know, you start over the next day or the next meal or whatever. The problems of hard drugs are horrific. But yeah. the lifelong impact of food problems are just torture. Because you can't beat it. Amelia Boone said it a while back. And a lot of people really like when she said it. She said, I haven't beat it. You just learn to live with it. Because a lot of times you'll oh, hear absolutely. people like, I'm over that, I'm better. It's like, well, you can't be because it's there every day. Like, you can yeah. turn away from a cigarette in a store and avoid the store. You still have to mm -hmm. eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner most of the time. That sucks. Yeah, and I, I think that's why, like, the veganism actually helped. Because, like, it gave me less options. Just out mm. in the world in general, you know? Like, there's very little vegan friendly fast foods or like just, you know, going under, going over to someone's house who isn't vegan. Like you can't just be like eating snacks or whatever all the time. So that, I mean, it's not like the best um, strategy, but it was inadvertently something that helped, you know. If you're the type of person that responds well to rules and protocols, if the rule says this doesn't classify, so I won't touch it, that's effective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you seem very rule-based. And that's kind of why, like, I'm stepping away from, like, the veganism stuff, because, like, mm -hmm. I, it feels like I need to learn how to just function in the world in general, you know? Yeah. So, like, without these like blinders on when it comes to food. So like I should be able to enjoy any food whenever I want and not feel some sort of guilt about it. But like, I should like, for me, I, I know I have a plan for it. Like I know that I'm staying active and I'm keeping up with all the other things. So like, why does a piece of cake hurt me? You know, just every once in a while, if I want it. And that's the, like, that's a big, like, uh, struggle in general. Oh, yeah. 
letting yourself have the thing after so long of not letting yourself have it. Well, because that same conversation Was... with a line of Coke doesn't hold up. Like no. what's one line okay. once a week. Cause I want mm. to, <laughs> I deserve it. That doesn't hold up. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you get all your family members to show up with like written letters. Trying to get you some. That help. happen. Does no, that happen? No, no, no. Okay. no, not at all. No formal intervention. Um, no. Was this a, was this a, the, the veganism thing? You and I could go back and forth on this. I think if anybody follows my social media, I think it's very apparent that I am not vegan. Um, uh-huh. But uh, I got clients who are, and I, I really appreciate the discussion, um, to be honest with you, because I can understand it. Um, mostly out of my respect for like living things, which seems so contradictory when you are the one killing them, but it is true. I have an immense respect for uh, the things that I do, but, but going veganism, uh, going vegan, was that, was that simply a way to self-regulate by the rule system or were there other reasons that you went into it? And if so, how has that shifted now that you are not? Um, I think it started out with like this like constant, um, need to like clean up my diet even more. Like I, so I, I guess it would fall more into the category of like give myself more rule sets and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, along the way, like I found other reasons to do it. Like I, you know, environmental impact, animal mm-hmm. cruelty, things like that. You know, it just it, like commercial farming, all that kinds of stuff. Um, and it, we could probably talk about that for a while, but that's not why anyone is listening. But uh, this, it, it definitely started out with like, let's give yeah it's it's more of like a let's let's give myself some more rules and then that way the things that are left should be better i mean and we know Mm -hmm. i mean we all know that like just because something is vegan does not make it the healthiest option of it and that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason i've stepped away from it and the other part is like i just need to be able to have whatever i want in order to be happier right is along along with like becoming more active and like losing the weight like i also needed to really work on like my mental health as well and i was just like mm. well, i was never happy with myself so being able to do things made me happy so you kind of just work in that direction the more yeah. things that no, you that can makes... do the happier yeah that makes uh that makes perfect sense and your chosen route worked at least it served a purpose yeah. for a time. And so that's very, very important. Yeah. And, I, and I also like that I'm pretty proud of the fact that I'm a adult that enjoys vegetables. Like that's apparently pretty rare, you know, you know, <clears throat> just got to make them right. Yeah, exactly. So we get, we get conversations sometimes about neglecting one end of the spectrum and that is the newest runner. And I think that that's valid. But you were the newest runner. And, mm-hmm. and and I want to hear about what was run number one like, and then what was race number one like? Because we'll get to who you are now. But I want to show what you what you started with and how that process went. So running in general, like other than if the, the workout at the gym had a run component to it, because sometimes there would be like, 
and this was, these are very rough estimates. Like we would be like, go down to the stop sign or whatever. And we're calling that 400 or, you know, go all the way around the block or, you know, whatever. Uh, I remember distinctly we ran. I didn't ever time my first actual tried to run a mile. I knew it was like in the tens or something like that. Uh, and then one of the workouts had, I think it ended with a mile just for time. And I was like high eight. I was like, Oh cool. Like I broke 10. Like, great. Like I was super excited about that. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, Oh, it inevitably leads to like, well, if I tried to do that more, could I get better at it? Because I didn't love being one of the last people to come in. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wanted to be up in, in the front of the back. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to win. Um, so I remember one day after the full workout, full hour class, I decided I'm going to run what we at the gym established as our half mile. I'm just going to run that out and back as fast as I can, see how long it takes me. And I'll just keep doing that every once in a while until I feel like that's too easy. So I I did that and it was running in like gym shoes, so like Mm -hmm. not very good running shoes. But it worked. Um, and I, I never got like real splits on those. I wish I had kind of gotten that. So I kind of knew a little bit more of where right. I started. But uh, I started doing that. Then I started extending it out to like the full mile loop. And then, then I started mixing in like, oh, can I do two miles? Can I do a mile and a half or, you know, whatever. And, but I'd never had like a plan kind of go out and do it. And it was usually way too hard. Like I always came in just blasted. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. because it was always at the after the workout too. So it was like already tired. Um and I kind of just kept doing that. I think I ran on a trail like once or twice. Um at the time I was really bought into like the super minimal shoes. So I think I had like my first running shoes were a pair of New Balance Minimus, I think they were, and had like very little anything at the bottom, or like in the in the sole. And I just ran everything in that. So like hard concrete, dirt, grass, all of it. Um, I have two pairs of those I, I use for my uh, my gym cross training days, and you might as well have nothing under your feet. In case anybody's oh, yeah. wondering, it's a eighth of an yeah. inch solid rubber, and that's literally it with a tiny it's insole. Solid yeah. rubber, yeah. Yeah, like, there's very it's, little flex to them. There's, they're great if you want to be able to like deadlift and then jump right afterwards. Like that's a that's a fun fact. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna constantly like tiny jumps for thousands of reps, you're screwed. Um especially like not having any kind of resistance to impact in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You can pay me enough to wear those shoes, let alone if you're overweight and trying to lose weight while wearing those shoes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, yeah. I had a friend at yeah. the time who was like very into like the barefoot thing. Like he, he worked out in the gym barefoot and then he sometimes ran barefoot. And I thought that that's a little too crazy. I'll just do like the, the almost not a shoe thing. Yeah. So, 
Uh, a pair of New Balance Minimus. I haven't ran an, yeah, one OCR race in them just to see. Oh? Hey, wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh, so, friends, Josh and Marissa, they invited me out to a group trail run. And I think the, the loop they always do, and they still do to this day, is almost a perfect 10K. And I remember the first time doing that, I fell off the back of the group super fit, like quickly. And then didn't really know the route, lost my way, took the first kind of turns that I thought would get me where I was supposed to go. I ended up cutting like two miles off of it. It was still dead last. Um, but, you know, we I'm friends doing... leaving you out there for the vultures. <laughs> right. Well, they, and then they realized like too late that I had fallen off the back end. But, you know, it is what it is. And it was not very hard to find someone in this like trail system that we were at. Uh, so then I just kind of stuck with that and I did that run once a week. I ran around the gym every, you know, like two, three days, uh, until that got me to the first race that I ever did. And that was a trail race in 2018. It was actually three races. There's a, a series called, um, Seven Degrees of Hell. Three Degrees of Hell? Three Degrees of Hell. And it happens in like late June, early July in Las Vegas. And it's either 7K or 7 Mile. There's three of them. And they happen every 12 hours. So 7 a.m., 7 p.m., 7 a.m. the next day. So I did the 7K series for that because it was like, Seven miles. Seems That's an long. interesting but, series. I like. Yeah, it. it's 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 a lot of fun, actually. Um, and it's always like a, it's an out and back every time too, so it's kind of hard to get lost. But uh, yeah, so Josh was an ambassador for that company that put it on. I hit him up like a couple weeks before. I was like, "Hey, I think I'm gonna try to do this. Is there any way like you can give me a discount code?" And he gave me his. And I got into that. Uh, and then in, in order, I took fifth, fourth, third in those races. So that ended up being a pretty positive because I was like, Oh, cool. I ended up on the podium in my third race. So I did that. And then that inevitably led to, well, you know, there's a Spartan race in Laughlin at near the end of the year. Do that because you already now run on a trail mm-hmm. and you already do all the things that we do in the gym. Let's just put it together and then come out with us and do that. So me and Francis from the gym put together uh, a team with the gym to go do the sprint. And this was the year that they put the sprint on Saturday and the super on Sunday, which I have no idea how many times they've done that, but that's historically been different. Uh, so we did the, the sprint as a, like a big group team. We took it very slow. Most of the people in the team didn't, couldn't like run the entire way. And then, um, I did the, the super on my own the next day, both open just to feel it out to see if there was something I'd like doing. And it turns out I did like it. So, and that all kind of happened. I feel like pretty quickly. 
than what did you like about there. it? The Spartan race. Yeah. What did you like about all this? What kept you coming back? Uh, I mean, I, it's because of the fact that it was something I could do. You know, like I, I could get through it, and that was exciting. Um, I had found a little bit of like success just in tr- running in general, like in trail running. I was like, oh, this I, I already like doing it. Um, if I actually worked at it, maybe I could be somewhat good at it. I don't know if I'll ever be great at it. And then with the Spartan racing, it was like, oh, this is stuff close to like the things I like to do in the gym, anyways. The tire flip, monkey bars. All that kinds of stuff. It's, it's, it was a lot of, I feel like what I could have been doing as a child, but now doing as an adult. You know, you get like a, a weird rush or like, like big boost of energy just doing like these silly things, just like at full speed, you know? And I didn't get a lot of that as a kid, so I feel like I'm kind of getting it now. But then make the jump to ultra scene. Um, okay. That was, was it 2020 was the first year of OCR stars. Mm-hmm. So then I did 2019. I did a few more Spartan races. I did the, uh, the seven K series again. And I was on the podium every race plus like second place overall with that. So mm-hmm. came back and feeling pretty good about that. Are you still uh, on your weight loss journey then in a sense? I mean, I'm sure it's always like, you know, it's always there, but right. are you down to like a, ho- a new homeostasis by now? Or are you still in route to being we know today? Like as far as that transformation? Uh, this is close. Yeah. I think this was actually, no, actually this would have been, this would have been near my lowest. Okay. You know, so you've over, like you've gone through the majority of your weight loss transformation has already happened. It has happened at this Correct. point. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Because like most, most of the weight came off through like diet and minimal exercise. And then the higher intensity stuff while helping with weight loss, um, that helped me just get, like I was getting stronger at that point. So it wasn't geared towards weight loss, even though that was like a, a beneficial side effect of it. Um, so uh, did a couple more Spartan races. Uh, I started, I jumped immediately into the age group because like open was fun, but I figured if I could, if I can do a whole super, I might as well see what it can happen if I try. So I go through uh, age group, not, not like, the greatest like i'm very new at it i don't have a lot of like the skill sets needed to like i'm not i wasn't great at like climbing over things or my i had very little grip strength um i had no idea how to run in on different terrains let alone like up you know climbing was new uh and then this would have all led to 2020, like like it happened to everybody. Everything got canceled. I had the plan that year was to go to most of, if not all of the 
the national series races do what I could do at least if I tried to like put together a season and just like constantly show up. Um, so all those races get canceled and the only thing going on is, uh, Mabby Davis's ultra virus race. Like, well, I'm not doing anything else. And I watched the first two go off and they looked like fun. I was just scared of a 12 hour time domain. Like, I don't know what that's going to be like. Um, I had friends who were ultra runners and they like were always trying to push you to, yeah, you know, just come up to an ultra jump, jump into like a 50 K or whatever. It's only like slightly longer than a marathon. And I've still to this day, never run a marathon, but I just like jumped straight into ultra from there. So, um, ultra virus three, 12 hour race. This was the, the weird progression one where it was mile one was one lap or one mile. Lap one, one mile. Lap two, two miles. Three, three miles. And then you keep adding until you get to 10 and you start subtracting. So having to like do any kind of math eight hours into anything is impossible. So I, luckily I had friends who would come out and like to see how I was doing or like run along with me. But I ended up with 55 miles during that race, and I took fourth. So there you go. Although it was the, the least attended of the – I'm really great at cherry picking nowadays. It was the least attended of, the, of those races. Still, though, in just a few years to go from I'd like to break 10 minutes in a mile to running 55 miles, that's astronomically different. Mm-hmm. I think like cherry picking races is a thing, but you have mm-hmm. to be able to race to cherry pick a race. There are, yeah, there yeah. are millions of people out there who could cherry pick any race they want and they're, they're going to take last. They're not going to make the podium. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have to have some level of like skill or fitness or whatever it is. But if it's, I think with, Ultras, especially time domain ultras, it's like if you're just there the entire time, you're gonna do well, you know. Mm-hmm. So it and it was definitely like um, you hit the the 30 mile mark, yeah. And I wanted to I wanted to be done. Like I it hurt. I was tired. I was just like out of my mind. Um, and luckily, I had a really good uh, friend who's an ultra runner. She was there. Just like this is what happens. This is just the 30-mile wall. I have no idea if that's a real thing, but it's, it, she made it sound very convincing. And it's like, okay, if, if this is what happens, we're going to keep going. <laughs> well, and isn't that cool that you got to 30, you were ready to be done, and you just knocked off 25 more? Yeah. Like, it's kind of dumb that that's even possible, but it's also really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I – we were – like the, the pace slows way, way down and stuff like that. But by the time I was on my last lap, um, I had a bunch of friends out with me and they all wanted to run the last lap with me. And we just started running. We got into a groove and I was going like way faster than I even was in the beginning at that point. Hmm. Like we're running against the clock because I wanted to hit 55 before 12 hours. <clears throat> and we got it done like with a minute to spare. So that was That's awesome. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, 
and that so that was like my first ultra and then i think was I it a lot of fun VR. though actually are you wired Not differently was that actually a lot okay that's let's let's real talk this a little bit it was really rewarding i imagine uh absolutely and only because i ate an entire pizza afterwards um going back to the, the food volume thing but uh yeah, you could have very much like it a, that day. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, the it was a lot of like type two fun, like this, like in the moment, like it really, really sucks, and I don't want to do it anymore. And then, like as soon as it was done, it was like, whoa, that actually was a lot of fun. And that's kind of the experience I've always had with racing in general. Mm-hmm. Like the, the a shorter race was like, ah, oh, this hurts a lot from almost the start and then you're done with it and you're like, cool, great. I'm done. It's usually like just proud of being able to do it. And then in an ultra race, it's like I'm hours and hours in and I have hours to go. So is it, should I just walk off now or do I just continue and finish the thing? And it's always like finish the thing and I feel way better for it. But, yeah, and then I think after Ultravirus, I PR'd my mile time in uh, OCR Stars. That that was, like, even more fun, you know, just being able to go back and forth like that. Uh, Ultravirus spawned uh, an ultra career for a few people. I think that was, like, Mark Battress's first attempt at any sort of ultra and he found out he had a niche a couple others i think did as well because there was just nothing else to do so people had like a why not attitude in hindsight yeah. the ultravirus series put on by mappy davis is probably one of the best things that happened during COVID, other than the beer mile i think yeah absolutely so, yeah um it, there's a lot to be said i'm joking it was more significant than the running public <laughs> beer mile I, don't, I wouldn't sell it short. The, the Burpee 10K, are you kidding me? Burpee 10K was big. <laughs> that's That sucked. They're still talking about that. that. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot to be said about being able to just, like, not have to drive or go anywhere to be able to do this, like, kind of a big event. So when you kind of have every resource at your disposal, then it's like, why not do it? Or at least try it. Even if you stop like six hours in, who cares? You know? Mm-hmm. So was this when was... you got the idea to do World's Toughest Mudder? No, I got the idea when they announced that last year's World's Toughest was in Laughlin. Okay. I was like, oh, okay, it's really close. Um, my friend Francis from the gym was on a team for a couple of years when it was in Vegas. Uh, they had some real success there. So I had like knew that someone I had known has done it. Mm-hmm. So, like it's in the realm of possibility to do. Um, he had never run it as an individual. And that was kind of the only thing I was interested in doing was running individually. So that's so when they announced that, uh, me and my buddy Josh were both like, let's do it. Let's sign up individual and we'll go. He ended up being on a team with uh, one of Kirk athletes, uh, Matt Lackanall. Super good dude. Mm-hmm. 
And then um, I didn't know that connection. Okay. Oh yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So they were on a two man team. I was individual. We, we we like shared a pit space and like we had a, a pit crew for the three of us. And yeah, that's that was the first time I had gone twenty four hours. Another wild, mm-hmm. really wild time. And how did that go? Uh, I mean, it went fine for me, I think. Like, I didn't really have any major pitfalls or, like, stopping points. It was just a lot of, like, I don't know what's going to happen after a certain amount of mileage or time. So I'm going to go very, very slow and just see where, if ever, the wheels fall off. Mm -hmm. So after, I think, like, 25-ish miles i just started walking you know i barely ran at all um and that in that year was super dry um anytime you got wet you immediately dried up just because it was in the desert and like there was warm wind blowing through uh so in a wetsuit for way longer than i needed to be or should have been uh if at all but that, I mean, that first attempt at something like that, I, I thought went well because I hit 55 miles. I mm-hmm. wanted 50. Um, I kind of felt it all out. I never felt like I was going to die the entire time. And um, it gave me a lot of confidence to do other things like that. So, like, in the lead-up to that, I did another, like, I did, a, like, a seven-hour race. I did a couple 50Ks just to kind of like get more used to doing things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was all well, I feel good about going into world stuff this, that year. So I feel like I did what I was supposed to for a first time at world stuff this, like with so many unknowns, which is yeah. kind of the opposite of how I feel now with the second one. Yeah. Well, the second one was a brutal, brutal year and a brutal course, and you got the full experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The the, the few unknowns that we didn't have the first year, we got this year. Mm-hmm. And that really, those were like big. And I didn't realize how big they could be until it was like in my face and I had to deal with it. That was oh. the not very fun part. So along the way here, you decided to really branch out. You left Las Vegas for the first time. Mm-hmm. What was the inciting factor there that caused you to decide, all right, it's time to, because you seem like you have a very supportive family. You had the ability to be yeah. comfortable and stationary and you branched out. What caused that? Um, I think it was the uh, the fact that I could be stationary if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't love the idea of like staying in one place forever. And I'd been like, I lived in Las Vegas for minus like the three years that I had growing up in Milwaukee, like my entire life I was in Las Vegas. So it was kind of time for a change. Like if you don't ever leave home, you know what? Like, I don't know. It it felt like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I had two destinations in mind i was either going to go or come to colorado where i am now 
or I was going to go to uh, Eugene, Oregon, where I had friends and just like kind of make it work from scratch. And so I chose Oregon. And then this came up. So then I came here. So it was like six months in Oregon, then straight to here. Which, you know, it is what it is. But kind of a real roundabout way to get to Colorado. Yeah. So from my perspective, your whole season goal was to get ready for World's Toughest Mudder, try to do 70 miles there, and do it right. And you moved twice, and you went up to altitude extreme altitude not that long really big grand scheme of things before the race and then you started the fire academy really not long before the race started so the closer we got to the race the more life started cropping up what was that like on your end to have your i'm going to dedicate this year to one thing but along the way i'm starting up real life again yeah i mean just to start off this year i like you said, I had a very clear picture of what I was going to do. I was going to really go all in on world toughest. Um, I was going to really focus on like the, the like the ultra running aspect, just getting ready for things like that. Hit some obstacle course racing along the way just to like keep that fresh. But like I wanted to really focus on like the the big volume of running. Uh, and that that first half of the year I think went off pretty well, other than a weird fluke of not being able to make it to high rocks in I think it was Chicago. I forget where I was going. Um, then moving here to altitude in July, that was a setback in itself because Vegas is like 22, 2,500 feet. Uh, Eugene is 400. I'm at nine, nine, eight now. So I had to kind of like learn to deal with that too. Um, and try to train like, like keep the same training volume. And then, uh, fire academy happens and almost all of it goes out the window, like training schedule wise. Like I couldn't, it became very hard to like keep, uh, I got, I got really used to having like the same schedule. Like this is my day where we're doing X. This is my day where we're doing Y, Z all the way through the whole week. And then now three days in a row, I have to be for at least eight hours at the drill grounds doing PT and then like full bunker gear and wearing air packs and like learning how to fight fire, like crawling around in the dark in the smoke and then breaking out windows and throwing ladders up against buildings. It's like, it wasn't a perfect thing. And I had to skip a couple of runs just because there wasn't enough hours in the day. But honestly, the, uh, the randomness of, fire academy drills and stuff might have helped just because it was like, I don't really know what I'm going to have to do next. So I just have to be ready for anything. Mm -hmm. um, was the fire academy something where you were entertaining Leadville? So you planted those seeds before you moved and then happened to choose Eugene, but the Leadville thing then came through on the back end. So then you were like, okay, now I'm going to pivot. I assume you put some irons in the fire and that's one of them ended up paying off, which was the Academy. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't have a specific place in mind that I wanted to like try and get into fire in general. Um, I thought maybe going up to Oregon, I would eventually fall into it if it like came up. But while I was in Oregon, my dad actually met the fire chief here 
in, for Leadville, uh, and they started talking. And uh, he mentioned there's an academy here, and the the like the it's about to start up. There might still be spots, you know. See if if your son can get in or whatever. And that's what I did. I mm. just I emailed the school. I emailed the fire department just to see what I had to do. Um, and then I just like was constantly talking to somebody to get the ball rolling. And then I got the email. Okay, so you're, I've got all your information. You're on the wait list. And then like two days later, they're like, okay, you're in the Academy. And I was like, cool. Uh, so I put my two weeks into my job and I packed up the van and I moved to Colorado. I suppose like, we should address the van. Oh yeah. He's got an outfitted Dodge. What? You have the Dodge version of the Sprinter van? Yeah. It's a Ram ProMaster. Yeah. The ProMaster camper van. Yeah. So, I mean, and I looked at that stock, or did you build it out? I built it out. Oh yeah, nice. Most of our Zoom calls happen in the van. There's a lot of that. Yeah, it was a, it was cold. Well, you don't look like you're in a van now. No, I'm domesticated now. I live in a in a house. You are. You have an address, (laughs) not a PO box. Exactly. That was literally it. It was so hard to get mail. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I lived out of that van for like two years up until moving to Colorado. So <clears throat> that yeah, was like glorified. A... Is that van living like literally living out of a van? Everybody in our little circle aspires to live that nomad van life and they glorify it. But I imagine living in a 180 foot square foot, 180 square foot place after some time gets a little a little old. What was your experience living actually out of a van? Real talk me. Maybe it was great. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, if you're, if like someone's considering it, I'd say give it a shot. Um, but it's n- most of the time, like pretty inconvenient. Like if you want any, uh, modicum of like, or like, any kind of convenience in your life, you're not going to have it inside of a van. Like if you want uh, like an actual comfortable bed, well, you've given up like a third of the living space. Then if you want like a a place to shower inside the van, there's another like fifth of it gone. If you want anywhere to cook food, there's another third of it gone. So like it always, you're just subtracting places that you can actually physically inhabit when you're not doing one specific thing. And then if you don't have a great plan for where to park it at night, you're just constantly going either like to a Walmart parking lot or like some like dark street. You feel like kind of sketchy just trying to park (laughs) and go to sleep a lot. I imagine that. Yeah. Ian, when I was working with him and he had his van, he always had it figured out that you get – memberships at good gyms and then you have the shower access and the wi-fi access and all that he, he always had a good sh- a rock, rock climbing gym that gave him good access to facilities yeah there, i mean there are mm. a couple there's always like a 24-hour gym of some sort that's got everything you need you it seems stressful to, to me yeah <clears throat> well i didn't have a great system for like like in a kitchen you can just pour like water down a sink or whatever but i didn't have like a sink 
So if I like boiled water for dinner that night, I had to like open the door and like pour it outside. I mean, it's just it's just hot water. There's like really nothing in it other than like some like micronutrient plant stuff, and you're then you're just completely exposing everything inside to the outside right then and there and then you're also like leaning out it's just like there's never any convenient part of it you know cooking takes twice as long cleaning up feels impossible dirty dishes or throwaway dishes are sitting around constantly we camp almost every weekend this time of year and the water shuts off at at facilities around here november 1st and so there's no running water we have to bring our own jugs. The amount of grossness that accumulates if you don't take a lot of time to clean it all up and organize. It's just like everything takes forever. And the chance that you're living in sort of an unclean environment is very high in a sense. Like, if you have a dirty dish, what mm-hmm. do I do with this right now? It's 15 degrees out. I have no running water. How am I going to clean my bowl? Like, there's yeah. little things like that that you just have to, like, accept. Is my place going to smell like spaghetti all the time? It might. And that's just yeah. what happens when you live in a small space without running water. Yeah. And a house, you don't have to worry about what you're cooking in the kitchen affecting the way your clothes smell in your closet. <laughs> right. But when they're 20 feet apart at most, this is, it's a big concern. So you have to, like, really think about things, like just venting things out. Because I have, like, a small the little number... stove in there. There's propane in here now. I got to make sure it goes out, you know? The number of different places you've probably gone to the bathroom has to be astounding. Like the kicking the leaves over it situation or hiding behind a, because you're somewhere and you got to go and you don't have a bathroom and that's the situation. Like, I'm sure we like our poop stories here. I bet you you've got quite a few of them out of the camper van. I'm pretty fortunate that I don't have anything crazy. Um, but the places I, you have gone, we could start really oh, rolling them off. I have a feeling. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's also the nature of just like living out of that and then like traveling in it too. What's like, the so place? You in the... What place do you look back and feel the worst about going to the bathroom? Like, I really shouldn't have done that there. <laughs> you got one I, for it's me? Gotta be... Come on. I mean, just any of like the, the public spaces and like, you know, wherever and in between places I was going, like, so in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, it's like, I could have figured out something better than that, but. Then pulling off the road and going 10 yards into the woods, you mean? Like that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Okay. But, um, nothing, nothing like, I was, it was never like a a park or anything like that, you know? Like a, like a, like a playground. Nothing, nothing crazy. If I, I had to choose like my Walmart place, playground, playground wouldn't be on the list. <laughs> no, nowhere near like a homeless person's head. Like no. none of that. No. <laughs> He's morally sound, Bracken. Yeah. So okay, so Bracken, you have to pick up. You have to leave to pick up your kids in ten minutes or less. Yeah. So, um, I'm gonna just pivot really hard <laughs> here. Yeah. Um. Yeah, not pivot, but bow tie. This. Um. Mm-hmm. I think you speak to a unique audience, um, Ian. You speak to a number of audiences. The one would be uh, someone who played around in the rougher side of life for a little bit and got themselves out of it, right? And then somebody who um, has lost a bunch of weight, and then also somebody who has 
not been able to run a 10-minute mile and now has covered 65 miles at world's toughest mutters and gross conditions and is uh, an endurance or ultra athlete. So you have like a lot of things that people are going to relate to you on. Now, I know most of the people that listen to this podcast are already in this fitness realm pretty heavily, but a lot of times what we get is we get somebody to say, hey, you need to listen to this episode. And a runner or somebody in our space will say, hey, mom, you should listen to this. It might relate to you. Or, hey, sister, brother, friend, um, listen to this guy's story. They'll say, listen to what he did. So point being is we do reach people who don't typically listen to this podcast through referral. So if any of those people end up listening or of our, some of our current listeners, like I want to know your advice for, this is a tough question to answer, but anybody who is running around on the, the rough side of life and or really needs to and wants to lose weight, like where, where do you start with your advice for either camp? Um, I mean, the probably the easiest advice I could ever give anyone or like that I've given people in the past is like getting started, just, just get started. Like it doesn't matter what you do to get started. Like just, just starting is like the biggest step. Um, what does that mean? Getting started. It's whatever seems doable in that moment to you. Like, it doesn't mean like, yeah, go out and run like 50 miles or like completely change your diet overnight to like become a vegan or whatever. Um, if, if there, uh, like what, whatever is the smallest, easiest, most attainable step, do that first. Start, start small, start very, very small. And it should feel like you're doing almost nothing. And then that just compounds over and over again. Like it never has, like you're not making a giant swing in any direction. You just need to get started. And, but you have to be the one who wants to do it. Yeah. You, know? you have to be the one that wants to do it. I often find people hire me thinking I will be their saving grace. And I am for a month or no. two until it comes down to what they actually want to do. And you have to want to do it. You seem to have done a good job of picking the low hanging fruit. Like a good job mm -hmm. of like simply identifying like the low hanging fruit theory, like just grab the things that are obvious and start with those. Like list yeah. off again what those things were for you. Uh, for me, it was like cutting back on soda and fast food, um, getting any kind of physical activity. It started off with walking, then I started riding a bike. Uh, if it's gym related, I just kind of went and did anything. Because in that sense, anything's better than nothing. You know, you, do you just think just by there. cutting out soda, if all you did with change was just, I'm going to do everything the same, but I'm not going to drink soda. Do you think you would have started losing weight just because of that? Like that simple, you picked one yeah. thing. Do you think that would have worked? Yeah. I mean, I would have lost some amount of weight for sure doing that. Just from that one thing. Easily. Super easily. easily here. Like, yeah. And that's, really all it took and then once you kind of start to see anything work you're going to want it to work more you know it's kind of addicting this whole like getting in shape thing <laughs> that's why so many of us are annoying <laughs> so into it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can't help <Yeah>. ourselves 
Just always want to talk about our new shoes and watches. So annoying. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Okay, good. <laughs> make sure I'll any advice for the any advice for the crowd who struggles with substances? Um, I know this is a lifetime ago for you. It probably feels like, and it, it but yeah. it's a tough deal if you're in a crowd that's um, doing things like that. Is there any advice there? Or is it just like as as straightforward as it sounds? That stuff I feel like is pretty straightforward, um, especially because those kinds of things have the tendency to like very easily kill you if gone overboard with. Um, you don't see a lot of people dying from eating too much and one meal. But with substances and things like that, you can definitely easily die by doing too much at once. So mm -hmm. it, it, but it comes down to any kind of like personal change you make. You have to want to do it yourself. You have to be the one who wants any kind of change that's going to happen to you. Um, Cause it's just going to be a bandaid otherwise. And bandaids always fall off. You know, it's, it, it sounds like incredibly simple and it is, but it's also like very, very complex when it's the, when you're the one it's happening to, or like you're the one who's trying to implement these things. Yeah. Simple so, when your own feelings aren't involved. Sure. Yeah. But that's not us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, that um, phrase yeah, like you become a is so accurate. Band-aids always fall off. And then this summer. Mira had a, a small cut on her arm when we were in Ireland and she put a bandaid on that thing and she somehow kept it on for a long time. And I don't know if you guys remember our water didn't work in Ireland for the first four days. So no one bathed oh. after traveling international and we realized she nice. still had her bandaid on and it didn't fall off and we took it off and the room immediately smelled like festering rotten skin. And I had to go <laughs> to a pharmacy and get, get, ointment to put on her rotting cut. So <laughs> I guess there is one addendum to that is every once in a while that band-aid doesn't fall off and then you just rot from inside. That's yeah, that's my takeaway yeah. for today's If episode. the band-aid so, doesn't fall off, it's bad news. Yeah, you're going septic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Those blister band-aids do the same thing. When they are glued on there, oh my goodness, they, they'll be on there for months if you leave them. Anyways, let's not go down that I'm route. I'm familiar with those. <laughs> Oh, they're fantastic. Ian, um, okay. Bracken, did you want to wedge anything else in there? We're looking at the clock here. No, I'm not wedging anything. <laughs> Just that yeah. one festering wound. Short anecdote. Had to get that one in. Yeah. Mm. It wasn't on my Ian, agenda. Can... You just brought it to, to light. <laughs> With a really good line, which is, and then it's just a Band-Aid, and Band-Aids always fall off. I like that. That should be a fridge magnet. There you go. Put Where can people it. follow along, Ian? Where can people uh, keep up to date on what you're doing? Um, I have really fallen off my own social media stuff. But uh, if anyone wants to, my personal Instagram is uh, Ian, I-A-N, two underscores, because I somehow couldn't get the one with just one. Floyd, F-L-O-Y-D. And then after that, if you want to see anything else that I'm actually doing, follow uh, Race Brain. You can follow Torque. The Reinforced Running Rich. Do a lot of his stuff. ORM. It's all there. You're the man behind the machine. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, like, comment, subscribe. You know, you know the drill. Already done it all, man. There you go. And we'll see you next year in Texas for World's Toughest. People can track along. Yeah, absolutely. We're going. Uh, we're going at least seventy-five. I think so. Coming home with a silver bib. Should have had it, it this year. We're gonna get it. Well, Ian, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, I enjoyed absolutely. getting to know you more, and I hope I hope everyone else did as well. This was a lot of fun. The, you also said I, that about I love an, a 24-hour ultra. You said that with that exact same tone. Uh, <laughs> I had fun That's during good. this as well. Okay. Oh, shucks. <laughs> All right, Ian. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys.